Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're joined by Jen Schneider, who is the Chief Evangelist at GovQA. GovQA is the leader in enterprise workflow automation for government requests, mainly focused on public records. Now, while the title may sound a little abstract, the position grew from a trend in both business and consumer worlds where the management of information has become so important. Jen is very interested in conversations that look at the big picture and where records management sits and and the management of public records sits in those bigger conversations that we need to have around records management and records keeping. So is it government challenges and opportunities uh, with technology, transparency, security, uh, procurement, legislative mandates, compliance staffing challenges, you name it, all of that information management needs to be conducted like a a symphony, so to speak, to to be able to ensure that uh, the integrity of Uh, the records management system is kept in place. Uh, Not only has she spent 15 years in the government realm, she's also spent 10 years managing local and international business development initiatives for other business-to-business companies. And she joins me on the line now from Chicago. Jen Schneider, welcome to GovComs. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Jen, just this whole area of public records and and ensuring that that workflow automation is adapted such that records can be managed effectively, just how big a challenge is it for government to become better at managing records with technology? Absolutely. So, um, technology has kind of come into the space probably over the last 10 years and really been... um, you know, more widely adopted. So prior to that, folks were using things like, you know, spreadsheets and foldering and, you know, just very kind of uh, non-scalable ways of managing. And so what we've seen happening and what the trend has been is that people are leaning toward technology because they need to make sure that they can stay compliant. Where the challenges come into uh, to play is that every state has kind of taken their own interpretation of what that public records law will be for their state. So the technology has to be flexible enough to actually support the needs of that particular state. So it can be quite challenging to get that stood up in an area where laws might be continuously changing and things need to be constantly monitored to make sure that they can be compliant. I can tell you as the laws tighten up and the, um, the amount of information that is more widely available now has made it more and more important to have that technology in place because the public understands what they're entitled to and you need to be using technology that's going to allow you to you know, support your compliance needs. So in terms of the transition from the spreadsheet to the automated workflow, what is best practice in preparing um, government workers to be able to 
manage with that transition? Absolutely. So the first thing you want to do is kind of listen, listen and learn from your peers, right? The folks who started this process before you have had some bumps and bruises along the way, I'm sure. And, um, you know, when you're working with a, a, a company that has you know, the breadth of, of clients that we do, we have a lot of best practices that we bring to the table. So when we come bring someone on board who's been in a very manual process, the first thing we do is try to understand what their desired end state is. So where do you want to be? Some people want to go from zero to 60 really, really quickly. Some people want to dip their toe in the water and advance, you know, over the course of a, of a few months or a year. So what we like to do is share all those best practices, identify areas where we think there's really big gaps or opportunity for improvement, and kind of outline that with the customer so that they understand that they don't have to just take what they were doing manually and try to shove it into technology. There's a lot of opportunity. And so that's that's usually how things start. And so in terms of that opportunity, and as you say, like trying to transfer a previous process into a an automated form that's obviously not going to work in in many circumstances. So when you're going through that listening um, uh, phase where you're trying to understand what the business problem is, what are some of the common issues that people are having uh, and, and how do they overcome those common problems that they've got at the moment? Absolutely. So big problem. And, you know, if I can take a second to just talk about our current state here uh, with COVID-19, that actually brought a lot of light to a lot of additional problems that weren't there, you know, that we didn't really identify previously. But I will tell you that some of the biggest challenges uh, that they're facing today is not only budgetary, but then um, change management. You know, folks who've been doing the same thing with the same tools for a long time aren't really a big fan of change. So understanding and showing the right value and the opportunity for improvement is a huge factor in the situation. And when folks can sit down and, and kind of get um, a, a real grasp over, okay, I'm doing all of these things manually, but if I was able to really, you know, kind of embrace this technology, look at how much time I can have back, look at how much efficiency I will have. And, you know, in addition to the fact that you're you're tightening up your compliance, so you're trying to avoid litigation at the end of the day. Now, but in, interestingly, though, change management often is one of those areas that, you know, in, in, uh, in circumstances where budgets are tight, people look at that change management component and think, oh, maybe we can, instead of, you know, a month, maybe we can do it in a week, you know, so let's just sort of jam it in there. Do you find that that's a problem, that there's an underinvestment in change management and there's not the, the investment made to bring people along on the journey? Um, I think it's a, I, I think the biggest problem is, is that the folks who are in the situation who are using public record software have probably not gone through many um, purchases of software and that whole process. So it's just, change management can be a very, um, a very new, you know, um, uh, thing that they have to deal with. So what we like to do is bring the best practices of change management to the table as well and kind of guide them through that process. So um, change management can be a real tough thing for lots of people. But what, what I will say is in our current state, when everyone had to do a whole lot of change management really fast to go into a you know, remote workforce, I think that is uh, softening a little, a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. So what were some of the some of the things that you saw in that um, rapid deployment to remote work that people were able to 
uh, adopt quickly that perhaps if they were in their normal steady state, they wouldn't have accepted in the same way that they did through the COVID-19 crisis? I think we saw a lot of um, willingness to open up access to information. So where documentation maybe wouldn't have been accessible uh, in the past from a working environment, you know, working from home environment, it's now been changed. People are looking more toward the cloud to make sure that their document, you know, their data is accessible so that they can continue to be in a remote workforce. Um, I think some of the toughest things were just trying to um, make sure that you had the right technology in place so that you could not only do the work and communicate securely with the people you needed to communicate with, but you had a way to deliver the information that was being requested. Because if you're in your house, you're not going to have people stopping by your front door. <laughs> no, indeed. Indeed. So, But I wonder then, uh, do you think that once the uh, postmortems are conducted about the workflows that were stood up in such record time to enable the, uh, the the working of government to continue. Do you think that there is going to be a lot revealed where perhaps uh, certain standards weren't kept up and that we, we weren't actually operating to the best practice standards because of the need for speed and the need to move as quickly as, as we did and whether or not you know, there is risk in that? I think um, a little yes and no. So if you were not using some type of technology today, to really manage the public records process, you are probably uh, you know, uncovering quite a bit of gaps that need to be addressed. But the folks who had already you know, been stood up and were using technology, the feedback that I got from the majority of them was that, um, you know, and I talk to our customer base all the time, uh, and the feedback that we were receiving was, we didn't really skip a beat. We planned for this. We, you know, if you think about, you know, California and fires, and you think about Florida and new, you know, New Orleans and Texas and hurricanes, those folks have already realized that they needed to be prepared for the potential of a remote workforce. So they made a lot of those adjustments up front. A good example of that is a customer I have in Florida who recently came on board over the last year. And their um, statements to me were, had we not had this in place, we would have all been furloughed and not been able to work. So the fact that they were able to adopt that work from home environment, go and be set up was great. So in terms of where where you see us moving to from here in terms of this whole um, records management and in terms of the integrity of the uh, the system and, and the records management system such that it uh, you know continues to support effective government and continues to support effective decision making what are the what are some of the big bigger trends you you did suggest there before about the movement to cloud but uh, but I'm also interested in you know the data sets that are growing up as the internet of things takes hold as 5g takes hold uh, increased impact of machine learning and artificial intelligence. What are the future trends that you at Government QA are looking at that is going to have a big impact Absolutely. on uh, records management? So um, I would tell you 10 years ago when we talked about public records, the mentality was that public records were public. So there was no need to be concerned about how you released them or where you released them and things of that nature. One of the biggest trends that we've seen uh, over the last year or so has been this um redefining of what public records is and the fact that it needs to be moving and you know and transacted in a very secure manner. So 
some of the other trends that have added to that are, um, you know, we've had all of this civil unrest and now different states are taking on new laws that are allowing for, you know, police officer conduct behavior to be released as public records. We now have body cams. You know, all of these things are areas where um, we have information that's moving around that's really not public. You might be entitled to it because maybe you were a victim or maybe you're part of a, you know, a case of some sort, but the information isn't truly public. So the need for security is huge. The kind of information is just escalating as to what can be released and what won't be held back. So in those situations, you give people the opportunity to ask for more and more information. You know, the fam famous uh, phrase is any and all. So that means that requests become much more voluminous in nature and they have a lot of what could be personal identifiable information or HIPAA or CGIS information. And those are all things that have to be taken care of very carefully. So a spreadsheet and an email box no longer does the trick. <laughs> no, indeed. So that in that sort of heightened environment where, as you say, there's demand, but also this almost uh, jurisdiction by jurisdiction bespoke uh, circumstance. How how do you stay on top of all of that? How do organisations stay on top of that diversity and that there's really not a one-size-fits-all approach to yep. be able to manage this very important function of government? So I think as a, as a software company providing software to government, we have a responsibility to kind of follow all of that legislation to make sure that we are always providing the top current product that's going to meet all of their compliance needs state by state. So we have a team of folks who, you know, who keep track of that because it's important to the tools. We've had, you know, situations where we've had to work with states to build out, you know, very specific reporting information and, and re-tool uh, some of their uh, system because they wanted to collect data that no one was collecting. You know, we've had to make changes so that, you know, police officer conduct information can be held in an even higher security level than what was previously being done. So there's a lot of a lot of those things that we follow all year long, and we're usually ahead of the client base on anticipating what's coming. Mm. So in that, you know, obviously one of the the benefits of uh, software in many cases is that it does standardize, and you know, workflows can be managed. But it sounds like that there's a fair bit of work that you need to do to customize. The software to meet the needs of the jurisdiction you're working with. Yes, I would I would refer to it as configurability. So we've built the mm -hmm. tool to be very configurable, which means we just can have the ability to look at what it is that need that is required state by state, and we build out what we feel is kind of the basic structure, and then we tailor it obviously and configure it to each individual um, agency. So it starts off with us knowing what the state needs and then configuring some additional uh, things from there. So if, if we were to look at sort of the through the line challenges, if I might refer to them in that way, where we see local, state and federal government all lined up as uh, providing services and providing information to citizens as required, what's, how, what, what's your observation of how well in, in the United States that those... Uh, arms of government are joined up to deliver benefits to the citizens? Oh, I think it's a, I, I think the folks who are responsible for delivering this information want to do their job. 
They want to be compliant. They want to be responsive. Um, you know, there are times when it you kind of cross the lines between somebody who is abusing the need for public records versus somebody trying to get the job done. You know, um, I think that there's a, a level of responsibility that the folks in public records take, and they really want to just get it done. I think another trend that you're seeing because of that is you're seeing a lot more proactive transparency on websites and tools that allow for some self-servicing by the public so that they can, you know, continue to do the larger, responsive, voluminous, one-off uh, requests while providing transparent information out to the public proactively. Hmm. So in terms of, if I might just return to this, you know, well, I suppose that, you know, the COVID-19 crisis does continue. It just moves into another uh, phase. What have you noticed as a as a crisis manager, as someone who is skilled in crisis management, what are some of the lessons that you have learned personally and what are some of the uh, stories that you have seen sure. um, that you could uh, share with our audience about your experiences? So um, in, in working with our customers, I have uh, come across many different things. One of the biggest is the fact that the requester who is requesting information, the look and feel of that person is different today. Many of my customers were only dealing with, you know, local media, local commercial entities, and the, and the general public in their particular local area. Now, because of COVID, depending on what has gone on in your area, around your area, um, those requesters look different. They're national media. They're national research groups. They're, so the volume of requests is increasing. The demand for a you know large volumes of information because people are you know researching it um, has has basically changed. So the climate of that of that requester you know is uh, does not look the same. Hmm. How are people holding up to that intensity that they're now facing and that you know that evolving? Uh, component of the of the requester you know this evolving nature of the requester being a, a different type of person with a different size and and, um, and and shape of request um two things I think one is you know they had a they had a little bit of a, a hiccup and a slowdown trying to you know get their arms around everything as they moved into a remote workforce and then the, the request volume was increasing etc and the second thing I think that we've seen is that they're they're definitely leaning to trying to be more and more proactive. Because if you're gonna ask me for data that I feel once I've, once I've gathered it, I think this can be public and I wanna release it, you can be proactive and get that out there. They're looking at more and more creative ways to use the technology to kind of balance this out. Mm. And that um, pro proactive release of data obviously takes some strategic insight into what the citizens are looking for and obviously, you know, what the elected representatives are indeed happy uh, that the communication uh, that is communicated out to mm -hmm. to the citizenry. What how, What's your views on, on the influence of elected officials on the management of public records? In my personal opinion, I don't. We don't spend a lot of time with the elected officials. Um, I can tell you that in some states they do. You know, some are uh, really push hard for transparency. Some it's not even a conversation that they're having at all today. So it really goes state by state. But from a working with a, a particular agency, 
the elected officials are not usually a part of that in environment. It's a lot of, you know, communications departments, public information departments, as well as legal departments. Mm. And so where to from here? You know, if you look into your crystal ball and you see sort of five years time, this operating tempo that's increased, this changing nature of people who are making requests, uh, the size of those requests, what, what does the world look like in five years' time in terms of records management? Uh, I think it's going to be more and more com- complicated. I think places where you see that a public records uh, manager has more than one hat they're wearing, that's going to change. Those are definitely going to be required full-time roles. Um, in more than one person, probably in each of those agencies. I think you're going to see that states are going to start to really embrace statewide training to make sure that everyone understands the do's and don'ts of what can be released and should be released kind of thing. I think you see a lot of that today in one-off situations where you have, um, you know, folks seeking opinion, where I think training is going to kind of take over on that part. So those are just a few of the trends I see. I don't think the volume is going to go down at all. Um, I also think you're going to see um, IT departments who are now going to start looking for more of a platform. So where they've got someone using something for public records, maybe somebody else is using something for complaints or you know, um, correspondence, whatever it might be, they're going to be looking to kind of centralize all of that and standardize to make it easier to manage because of the remote workforce. Do you think that elected officials are going to continue to invest adequate amounts of money in this space, or are they just going to continue um, as they have done in the past and not recognise this sort of evolving, changing expectation of the community to get access to these records? No, I I, I believe that the trend is going to be that they will continue to invest money. Um, you know, they are... Um, realizing that this there is a need and there is a very large risk of litigation. I mean, there are watchdog groups out there all day long who are just looking to find a mistake. So thinking that the volume can go up and the complexity requests can go up and you can't and you don't want to embrace technology with that, that's you know, I don't believe that that will be the continued case. In addition to that, because we now have had um, you know roughly ten years of uh, this type of sale and, you know, the public records technology, we now have data points that we can point to, to talk about ROI and talk about what a benefit this would be. So, you know, not to sound cliche, but, you know, sometimes you have to invest a little to save a little. Right. And I think that is the, uh, you know, a trending thought process. So if people are interested in finding out a little bit more about GovQA, where would they get that information? If you go to our website, which is govqa.com, you can uh, find a ton of information there. You can reach out to us generically there. Or if you scroll down on the page, there's an area where you've got multiple ways you can contact me directly. Fantastic. Well, Jen Schneider, the Chief Evangelist of GovQA, thanks very much for sharing your story today about this increasingly complex, difficult, uh, challenging world of managing public records and making sure that those public records are correct such that you know, the community can have real confidence that the government is on top of its business and making decisions in the best interest of those people. Thanks very much, Jen. And enjoy your evening in Chicago. And to you, the audience, thank you 
for coming back once again. Just a reminder, the GovComs Festival, the global GovComs Festival that we are conducting in partnership with the OECD and the European Commission takes place on November the 17th. So just Google GovComs Festival and you will see all of the details that you need to uh Sign up and join in on a 24-hour conference where we will be going around the world looking at particular issues in government communication from the perspective of many different countries. So I'm sure you'll enjoy that. And one of the big features of the festival is a 24-hour education program delivered by the Griffith University social marketing team here in Australia. So that's a a real benefit for any of you who will join in. So just Google GovComs Festival, sign up, and we do have our expressions of interest still open if you would like to contribute to the GovComs Festival. So if you would like to express an interest to be a speaker or uh, conduct a panel or a case study or any of those sorts of things, please express that interest and we'll be be in touch and we'll make sure that we program you into the event. I am certainly looking forward to that as part of the OECD's Government Aftershock Global Dialogue. So November 17, that is when the GovComs Festival will take place. So please jump online, take a look at that. Thanks again for coming back once again. And a big thanks to Jen Schneider from GovQA. We'll be back at the same time next week with another interview with someone from the world of government communications. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.